It's time for Lawyers for Jesus, a show about the dynamic and exciting interaction of faith and the law. Featuring the attorneys from the law firm Malkin Baker in downtown Chicago. Malkin Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and for serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Hello, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm John Malk, a partner and attorney at the law firm of Malkin Baker. We are believing attorneys. Every one of us follow Jesus, and we focus on serving the body of Messiah with its legal needs. To learn more about us, you can go to malkbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Our phone number is 312-726-1243. Are you confused about our legal system and wondering how can we help our society get back to God? How can we help people find Jesus? How can we have a just society? How can we have a fair society? How can we have a society that flourishes and builds up people? Today, we'll be speaking with Dan Gruber again, author of Kelson's Dilemma, Law Without Authority or Limits in the interesting issue of how legal theory and the foundations of our legal system impact our daily issues of abortion, Supreme Court appointments, same-sex marriage, and what we believers need to do in dealing with that. Dan's an author, teacher, and student of scriptures. If you didn't get the first interview I had with him. This is part two. Uh, Dan, welcome back to our show. Uh, Tell us again, remind us, who is Hans Kelsen and why are you hammering him in your book? Well, Hans Kelsen was a noted legal philosopher, a legal positivist, and I'm not hammering him per se. I'm hammering his presentation. All right. Uh, Okay. Go ahead. What's what's wrong with him, and, and why should we care about him? Well, what's wrong with him? I mean, you might want to ask his mother. I don't know. But uh, the issue is his legal philosophy, and he built it on a series of what he calls presuppositions. Now, a presupposition is not an hypothesis. An hypothesis You say, this might be the case, let's test it. And so you experiment, you research. A presupposition is a conclusion you make before examining the evidence. And so it shapes, or you could say skews, uh, everything that comes after. You establish your own uh, starting point, not on the basis of observation, not on the basis of any shared conception. So, so what is what is Kelson's presupposition, and why does that matter to us? Well, the general one would be there are no values, principles, authority, or limits over humanity other than what the human ruler uh, posits, what he puts forth. Now, so so if you have a, a uh, a society that says infanticide is okay, like the Romans did. They would uh, um, leave babies uh, out on the mountainside uh, if they were not wanted, or uh, certain races are disfavored. Uh, that's the law, and if you're going to be a good Roman citizen or a good American citizen, you follow whatever the law is. 
Right. Well, your problem, I can hear it in your voice, is that you think there is a standard external to the law, which almost all societies did, and most societies still do, but it's not what prevails in the West. It's not uh, prevailing international law uh, or law in the U.S., uh, so that, like Kelson literally says, you know, anything can be criminalized, anything can be commanded. So there is no mala in se. There is nothing that is evil in itself. Nothing per se evil. Nothing per se good. And nothing per se good. Right. See, val if there are values that pre-exist, our own choices, then we're not free, as in the garden, to choose our own standard. Well, okay. So are we free to choose our own standard or are we not? And what, and what is the obligation of the believer relative to the American positive law, political parties saying whatever law we pass is right and you need to follow it. Should we be engaged in civil disobedience like Martin Luther King? Well, firstly, people should be engaged with God. So you say believer, but and we talk about the scriptures, but you know most people that you're categorizing would approach the scriptures in the same way that they approach the law or any political or moral issue. They're not, people are arguing about what's up in the branches when the problem is at the roots. All right, explain that. Well, from, uh, from an small acorn, a mighty oak grows. So the roots are, uh, you can find it in Romans 11, this is the basis of the argument. It's the root that supports you. You are just branches, speaking to Gentile believers, you are wild branches grafted into something that is not natural for you. And so if you want to be nourished by the root, you're going to find that everything is going to change for you. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm John Malk, partner of law firm of Malk & Baker. If you missed part of this episode or our first interview with Dan Gruber or want to hear other Lawyers for Jesus interviews, visit MalkBaker.com. We have podcasts there. You can listen to them there or you can send them around to your friends. Uh, and I think this is an important interview. You might want to do that. You can also subscribe to our Religious Liberty newsletter and follow us on Facebook and Twitter for legal updates with a biblical perspective. Uh, today, we're speaking with, with Dan Gruber, a Messianic author and teacher, about how to combat the positivist law impact in our society, and first of all, to recognize when we have man-made law and when we have law that's emanating from God's purposes. And maybe let's start there. You said, let's look at... Uh, an acorn, and then the fruit that it bears, the mighty oak. Uh, tell us about the acorn. Where do we need to start when we're talking about uh, correct American law and 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 following of the law? God establishes authorities so that a parent has authority 
established by God. And the authority above the parent is primarily God. There are situations, because God has given some authority to the state, where there might be uh, an interaction or a conflict between some of the authorities that God has established. But often what you find in the state is what many legal philosophers say, that uh, the state is legally despotic, that it is the supreme authority, but that ignores the issue of jurisdiction. Okay, explain. You're a lawyer. Tell us about jurisdiction. Jurisdiction? Well, of course, that's what you're entitled to review, and something outside your jurisdiction, you have no authority to make a decision concerning that. Right, but those in power often claim to have authority, which they do not have. Give they us make, an example. Uh, well, let's let's look at history, or let's let's go back to the the first century. Um, so we find in in Acts where Kepha and Yochanan, you know Peter and John, are before the council. The council is actually legally empowered by the Roman Empire for local rule. And the, they're commanded to stop proclaiming the message of Yeshua and his kingdom. Uh, and their response is simply, well, you guys figure it out for yourself, whether we should obey you or obey God. For us, it's a non-issue. Okay. So they're... Uh the Sanhedrin was trying to go beyond their authority and saying people can't talk about God. Well, or even more specifically than that, this message about Yeshua and his kingdom. Well, now we're hearing a lot about hate speech and people can't criticize uh, Islam or can't criticize uh, secularism and make people feel unsafe and uh proclamation of the gospel by whether it's by street preachers or people handing out literature uh, they're saying they have no right to insult us to make us feel unsafe or to insult the prophet Muhammad um, isn't that a good argument I think if we want valuable laws similar to that we could have laws against uninformed speech and this would eliminate a lot of the discourse, almost all the political discourse and societal discourse. But see, the issue of a value, if you know, people talk about tolerance as though by itself it means something, well, all law is intolerant. All law draws lines and says this you may do this, you may not do. Not, I mean, they're prescriptive laws, but um, so the idea of law is that there is commanded behavior and what behavior you will command and what behavior you will prohibit or repress depends on your values. So it's well, just a question of whose values. Yeah, and, th and this is what we're going to be talking about uh, coming up further. Where do we get our values, and should we impose Christian values into our law uh, and, or not? Uh, we'll be speaking further with Dan Gruber, Messianic author, about where our authority comes from, what our values should be, 
and how we as believers should react. I'm John Malk, and this is Lawyers for Jesus. Sometimes, Jesus used the law to make a difference, and so must we. In his book, Jesus in the Courtroom, author and attorney John Malk shows us how to engage our modern legal system for the good of the kingdom. Jesus in the Courtroom discusses the need for faith-filled lawyers in order to protect the church and what good can happen when we partner with Christian legal professionals. To order your copy of Jesus in the Courtroom, find it at Moody Publishers or go to JesusInTheCourtroom.com. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm John Mauck, an attorney at Mauck & Baker, a law firm based in Chicago which serves churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals in their legal need. If you missed the first part of the show or want to hear part one, our previous interview with Dan Gruber, uh, go to MaukBaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com forward slash radio. Today we're talking with Dan Gruber, messianic author about his book, Kelson's Dilemma, Law Without Authority or Limits, it really dissects what positive law is and how that has impacted our society and what we need to do about it. Before the break, Dan, you made a statement, all law is intolerant, but don't we want tolerant law that... Uh, well, you see, law distinguishes what do you tolerate, what do you not tolerate. Anyone who takes a position against hate speech or this or anything, it's we tolerate this, we don't tolerate that. People, according to their values, differ in terms of what they tolerate and what they don't tolerate. Well, and this uh, brings us back to the common question. Uh, and it's, the Christians are often challenged with this. Uh, don't give us your your laws that are tolerant or intolerant. Your values don't impose them on us and put them in the laws. We should have a value-free legal system. Well, that's as we quoted uh, Oxford professor Leslie Green. That's incoherent. All law is the imposition of values. There's no such thing as value-free law. So that um, you, uh, the lawmaker's values are embedded in the law. Okay, and the lawmakers uh, in our society, are, is that the people? Is that the Constitution? Or is it the, the political power in uh whatever, who's ever in charge politically? Well, I think you know the answer to that, and I can tell by your smile that uh, you recognize it's a combination of all. Law is the result of political processes. It doesn't just appear, you know, out of Congress, you know, it, it, it's a process. Well, then, uh, what is the the, the role of believers, particularly our listeners, uh, people who want to see God exalted and want to see justice and equity, and yet they're being slammed uh, for, for value imposition. Um, uh, what's the right approach to take? Should we just be very militant politically, uh, voting and campaigning, or are there other things that we need to be doing? Well, I think that what comes first is even as we're told about the scriptures, study to show yourself approved. 
people, whether believers or unbelievers, should know what they're talking about. And generally, that's not the case. It's simply an exchange of opinions, which, uh, like in our... Just conclusory opinions, without evidence, just, you know... Right. Like in a Torah study I lead, I tell the people, not that anyone listens, but I tell them repeatedly, here you are welcome to think, feel, believe, whatever you want, but we don't want to hear it. This is a study of the text. You have to bring evidence, historical, linguistic, uh, you know, etymological. You bring some evidence. We don't care. We don't want to hear what you think or believe or what your mother or your favorite teacher believes. It's irrelevant to what the text says. The text preexisted all of them. All right. So even starting with our Bible studies, we want our teachers to exegete. And I, I use that. And I use uh, when I teach the Bible, when we teach it here at Malkin Baker, we've had a Bible study for, for 50 years every Friday. And, and I use a dirty word, eisegete. Don't eisegete but exegete, and uh, help them understand. Exegete means like exodus, bring out from the text what's in there. Eisegete means where you're taking your values and your conclusions and putting it into the text, and this is something that we, as even believers, often do. And uh, we can start right there in our churches if our teachers and our pastors are eisegeting and, and just throwing their own values in without a good explanation of the text, help them see the problem uh, or go to a different church where there's proper biblical teaching. So that's that's uh, a very foundational. Does that go along with what you're saying? Uh, basically not. <laughs> because, as you know, uh, I wrote another book called Copernicus and the Jews. It's the first uh, in a series about the separation of church and faith. So just for simple facts to deal with, there's no church in the Bible. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm John Malk of Malk and Baker, and we're talking with Dan Gruber, radical messianic uh, teacher of the scriptures, and I think people would consider that that was a radical statement uh, just before the breakdown, that there is no church in the Bible. Well, Give very, us evidence. You said okay. that's what we got to do. It's very simple. There's a, a Greek word, ekklesia, that appears the same number of times in the Septuagint law writings and prophets, Tanakh, as it does in what I call the Messianic writings, Matthew through Revelation. It's not a religious word. It's not a Christian word. It's just a word for designating an assembly or a gathering. So, for example, you have in, in Acts um, the riotous mob in Ephesus. This riotous mob is an ecclesia. The ecclesia was in confusion, some shouting one thing, some shouting another, and no one knew why they had come together. Now, that may describe your church or not. I don't know. But a church is a, a mistranslation. It's an imposition. King James commanded that the word be used in the, in the King James, but in many other languages, you don't have the equivalent word because it's not a proper translation. And what does that mean then? If we have this mistranslation, how is that? How is that causing us 
confusion and, and inability to serve God. Well, because like in Ephesians, Gentile believers are told you're brought into the commonwealth, the politeia of Israel. Uh, you do surveys, you know, 90 what percent of those you're calling believers have no idea of what that means. But as Yeshua said, salvation is of the Jews. This is the only context for redemption, contrary to the historical church position. Yeah, no, no you're now you're uh, now you're baiting me, Dan, because <laughs> you know these are some these are some hot buttons. But I'm gonna th I'm gonna throw this throw this out. I've done uh, I've done surveys and asked people uh, the new covenant. That's a legal agreement. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. Uh, Jesus talked about a new covenant, and we even have a book called the New Testament, which it's not a testament and so forth. We won't go down that road. But the question is, who is the new covenant between? And uh, before you give the answer, I'm going to ask listeners to think about this. Is the new covenant between uh, God and us? Is it between Jesus and the church? Is it between uh, Israel and God? Is it is it between all the believers and Israel? Uh, who, who is this covenant between? And most people that I ask haven't the vaguest idea. So who are the parties to the new covenant? Dan? Well, you just have to read the text of the New Covenant, which is presented in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 31? Yes, through 34. And we'll talk about what's in it, uh, but it's important to understand the word testament comes from the Latin Vulgate, testamentum, which for a thousand years was the Bible. But uh, it's the wrong word. It's not a testament. There are no testaments in the Bible. They're covenants. They're agreements between God. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand and brought them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. So, so the covenant you're talking about is between God and and Israel. The covenant God is talking about okay. is between God and Israel. In Jeremiah. In Jeremiah. And, and that's the new covenant. That's the new covenant. What's Jesus have to do with this then? Well, okay, Jeremiah 31, that portion is quoted verbatim in Hebrews 8. Uh, Yeshua says he is the one that is the sacrifice for the new covenant. So his blood seals the covenant. And the characteristic of those who have entered into the new covenant, according to the text, is God's law is in their minds and in their hearts. Amen. Dan, how can people learn more about uh, your teachings? Uh, give us your website and your, where can they get your books? Well, the website is elijahnet.net, so E-L-I-J-A-H-N-E-T.net. Uh, all the books are available on Amazon. Uh, most of them are listed on the website, but they'll just send you by link. Um, we were just talking about things that are in Copernicus and the Jews, the separation of church and faith. We started with Kelson's Dilemma. A lot of good books. I've read them all and highly recommend them. If you have a legal need or a question and want the perspective of a local believing attorney, contact us at Malkin Baker. You can reach us at 
726-1243 or at mockbaker.com. Visit our website. We have a free Religious Liberty newsletter with legal updates. Uh, you can pray for us. We will pray for you. Mention Lawyers for Jesus. We'll give you a free consultation. Thanks for listening. I'm John Malk, attorney at Malk and Baker, and this is Lawyers for Jesus. You're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody.